the giant thinkers giant thinkers podcast hey guys welcome to the show i'm ram castillo and in this podcast i'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers creatives and giant thinkers Giants, this is episode number 73. Today, we have the CEO of Bridge Climb Sydney, which is the number one ranked experience in Australia. To date, over 4 million people from more than 140 countries have climbed the Sydney Harbour Bridge since 1998, including Oprah Winfrey, Hugh Jackman, and Jamie Oliver. Previously, our guest was the CEO of Scenic World Blue Mountains, where he served a 10-year tenure. His formal studies include a bachelor's degree in business, management, and marketing, plus a master's in information and communication sciences, both at Ball State University, Indiana, USA. He is a man of many layers, including being a servant leader that specializes in creating world-class cultures and building exceptional, iconic experiences. He believes the heart of all business is people and that his role is to create a space where people can be the best version of themselves. One of the things that really got to me was when he said that in order to truly know and lead a person, you have to know their pain. Personally, the conversation we had reminded me that excelling in our careers and reaching ambitious goals takes a ton of inner work. And requires showing up with an open heart and an open mind when working with others. Some of the topics we spoke about include the most unexpected thing that's happened on the bridge during a climb, setting up people in your company to be the best version of themselves, what building exceptional iconic experiences means to him, and what servant leadership is and what we can learn from it. So if you'd like to improve your leadership skills or hear answers to some of the bigger questions, then this is for you as we uncover what makes an empathic, courageous leader. Now, before we begin, I'd like to share with you one of my favorite resources, which is quickly becoming one of my necessities when designing for clients, and that is Stocksy. I'll also pass on a generous gift from them, which is a chunky 20% off discount. So after 14 years in the design industry, I've gone through hundreds of stock libraries that just don't have the creative quality and creative variety that Stocksy have. I'm hoping to save you the hassle and put this quality archive in front of you as they've provided me and my peers with phenomenal royalty-free stock photography and cinematic video for hundreds of jobs in the past. So before I plug the 20% off discount and before you hit the fast forward button, allow me to expand with four short points. First, their image library isn't full of cheesy overused assets. Second, they use a highly curated editing approach to carefully select the most useful and authentic photos to include in their collection. Third, their business model differs from traditional stock photography companies as they focus on creative integrity, fair pay, fair profit sharing, and co-ownership for members and artists. Lastly, their website is very easy to use. The searching, filtering, navigating, it's all clear. It's very intuitive and simple. They even have a drag and drop search feature, 
If you have an image and want to search a similar image on Stocksy, simply just drag that image into their website, literally into the browser, and Stocksy will populate anything that is related for you to review. They've also launched a search by color feature. Enter a hex code or use their slider to search Stocksy's collection by color. Images start at just $15 USD, and as a listener, you get 20% off. Head to giantthinkers.com slash Stocksy. Once again, that's giantthinkers.com slash S-T-O-C-K-S-Y. Use the code giantthinkers20. That's giantthinkers20. The clickable link is also on this blog post. Alrighty, let's get stuck into this fascinating conversation. I present to you the high-climbing, multi-layered, truth-seeker, Chris Zumwalt. Chris Zumwalt, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast. Uh, mate, I'm so pumped to have you on the show. Someone very, very unique as yourself um, with a very unique history and background. How are you doing today, mate? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me, Ram. Well, uh, Chris, we, we actually connected through LinkedIn mm. and uh, I really uh, was brought to the attention of a particular post where you posted Bridge Climb Sydney is at Meld Studios today working on our future. So we're going to dive into a bit of Bridge Climb, a bit about how you got to where you got to. Um, it's a very, very unique and refreshing um, journey you've had. And Meld Studio, of course, holds a, a deep place in my heart, um, having interviewed uh, Janet DeVilda and being in and out of there myself. Uh, so, mate, we're going to dive into an icebreaker question. Mm. If you had your own late night talk show, who would you invite as your first guest and why? Very interesting question. Uh, I think the type of leader that I am, um, I'm really into business leaders who disrupt Elon Musk as an example. I find him fascinating. But I'm also into the spiritual side of things. So um, someone like Dalai Lama, um, you know, Russell Brand is starting to go in that area and talking about those things. And so for me, it would be a mixture of someone who is a, is a, a disruptive leader and a, and a spiritual leader. Um, Barack Obama is someone who, if I knew him, I feel like he might have a spiritual slant to him. So it'd be a combination of maybe the Dalai Lama and Barack Obama, because I really just have an affinity to Barack. I, I feel like um, I'm similar to him in some ways, even though I don't, I don't know him. I'd love to know him. Fantastic, mate. Love that lineup. Now, can you tell us a little about your childhood and how you grew up? Mm. So I am an American. Uh, my accent, you may or may not be able to tell. I've been here 15 years now, and so my, my accent's a little bit all over the shop. I grew up in a small town, 1,300 people, called Griggsville, Illinois. So it's probably about the closest city, either St. Louis, two hours from St. Louis, or about um, five hours south of Chicago. Tiny town. Um, everybody in the town's white. People in the town uh, don't aspire. Not that they don't aspire to do that much, but typically don't do that much, right? They stay, they farm. Um, and I was brought up on the television, right? And from an early age, I always wanted to get out and do something more and experience the big city. Um, I had uh, a childhood that was both beautiful but scary and tumultuous at the same time. 
Um, growing up in a small town at the time I thought was boring, but safe. You know, you'd leave at eight o'clock in the morning on your bike and you'd come home for lunch, you'd leave again, and then you'd um, come home for dinner at dark and you'd be done. That was the day. You'd spend mm -hmm. the day out with your mates and some truly amazing friendships. But one interesting thing about that town is um, my father. So my father um, grew up in the same area. My mother grew up in the same area. And my dad w w had lots of struggle with alcohol over the years. And so um, it's different in a small town. When, when everybody knows you, you can get away with a lot more, right? It's not, you know, so you can do some things and you get away with a bit more. And so my dad was violent towards my mother and, and I lived in a very scary household. Um, that relationship, you know, so a lot of what makes me who I am, I realized over the years is trying to prove to the people in that small town, the elite, if you will, which are judges, insurance salesmen, lawyers, that I wasn't the, town, the, the son of the town drunk, right? And so that manifests as an adult into, um, you know, insecurities, trying to prove yourself, um, this, this insatiable desire to become something. And you realize as you keep going that it's a bottomless pit. You get one thing and then you'll enjoy it for five minutes and you, you know, when I arrived here, I, my goal was probably to be the prime minister, right? But as I'm starting to age and get a little bit older, it's starting to change. So growing up in that town was amazing. And my mother, you know, my parents split when I was in the third grade and I got a stepdad, but you know, was, my dad's presence was always there. Um, there was always fear of embarrassment. I think I learned at an early age, too early, how to overcome embarrassment or people's expectations of you. So from an early age, I learned to read people, understand how they felt about me or how they saw my dad. So situ um, situations... I could see whether or not people approved of the situation because I was always trying to ebb and flow and figure out whether or not someone was approving of me based on their experience with my father. And I remember to this day, a teacher said to me at the end of, I was having a tough day over something and a teacher said to me when I was about 18, you know, she's like, we don't hold it against you for who your father is. And she was trying to say the right thing to me, but it hurt because I wanted him to be something more I wanted him to be I wanted to be him to be something that I could be proud of and ever since that day I have just had a burning hunger to achieve something something and be recognized now in the last my late 30s and early 40s that's all started to change and I can use that for a greater purpose and we'll probably get into that a little bit later hey let's get into it now yeah. I think this is perfect yeah um few questions running through my mind a um maybe not so much a question for this thought uh but i think we're all able to connect with your story just now uh in some way or another mm. um whether it's feeling like they are contributing or whether they feel like they're being seen for value mm. in whatever value motivates or lights that that person up um i guess the first question that comes to mind off the back of that is how did you arrive at finding value now is it just time i don't believe that time itself yeah. i mean time without doing anything or being exposed to the right tools or people or resources yeah 
can help you sort of navigate that. That's like a, a, a deep rooted experience mm. that if not observed yeah. and sort of like uh, attended to, yeah. um, you it's like, how can you clean someone else's house if your house isn't clean itself? How can you um, help others with your own uh, darkness or, tr- or, or challenges yeah. if um, they're still unresolved? So how, how did you navigate through that whole thing? Mm, so I guess the first thing that comes to mind is I haven't arrived, mm. so I'm on a journey. Um, and I've arrived at different levels of awareness. And I firmly, what I've learned is, it's very simple, that um, life is evolution and evolution is through the pain. So through the pain, <clears throat> excuse me, um, things don't, I mean, in nature, things don't evolve without going through pain. Right, you have to go through struggle. Imagine going from land to water. You would have had to go through some struggle at some point to, to become a fish or or whatever you're evolving into. And so I learned a spiritual journey, if we want to call it a spiritual journey, or my growth process is painful. Um, but the beauty of life is that going into the pain, and um, one, it's quicker. So as opposed to running from the pain the pain will follow you because these are your lessons in life right the pain will continue to follow you and it will chase you and you'll be like oh you know why am i feeling this way i'm always feeling this way as opposed to turning facing the pain and running directly into the pain now the pain will be more severe but the the length of time will shorten that you have to experience the pain and just on the other side of pain is that that feeling that you're looking for but you can't get attached to that feeling either because just on the other side of that good feeling is a new result, is a new thing, a new pain for you to go through. I, I, I believe innately that humans are problem solvers. That's why we're given the brains and the abilities that we have. So we're here to solve problems. And I always say it's about solving newer, better problems. And that's your evolution. And so that's what I have been doing. Um, you know, I, I've been, it's been a constant struggle but there's nothing sweeter than continually struggling. You know, I had addiction issues early in life and I had to go through that. Uh, and I've been on a process of self-awareness, self-discovery through different forms and modalities of meditation, um, uh, self-awareness. I've tried a lot of different things over the years. I've done Vipassana silent meditation retreats which are some of the most horrifically beautiful things I've ever experienced because in order to gain awareness or gain mindfulness you have to in some way lose your mind Um, and in that environment you very much do lose your mind I believe that to move forward to evolve the things that you have suppressed they have to come out of you so awakening isn't always about it being blissful awakening is often the pain and I also believe that you're not always working on your own pain. I believe in generational pain. So I believe that you or I, um, as aware, if, the fact that we're having this conversation means we're aware people. So you're probably working on generations of pain. Why is it so hard? You know, why, you know, I'm, you know can I get a break? You might be working on pain from generation after generation after generation. And if I look at my family history and what I come from, I believe that's true. And that gives you real purpose, right? That makes you, if you can think about things in that way, that you're not just healing yourself, you're healing all the past, but the future. So if you heal, if I heal myself and I become a better human being, my children are better human beings for the next generation. 
the people that I lead and work with are impacting me. I believe people go as the leader go. And I also believe that you are a byproduct. You will be. So if you ask yourself, who are the five people I spend the most time with? You are a direct product of those five people, right? And hopefully you're spending um, time with people that elevate you. Because if you're not, you'll be going the opposite direction. So that uh, teacher that made that comment to try to uh, help you, Mm. how old were you then? Mm. 18. 18. Okay, now you just mentioned, which I totally agree, that famous Jim Rohn quote, yeah, the average of the five people spend most time with. So who yeah, are it's the not five? mine, by the way. Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's not mine, but it's not my quote. Yeah. It, it's a, and it's a, such a true statement. Yeah. Um, who were the five people that influenced your evolution? Mm. Um, it's interesting. I look at it two ways. Um, for, a while, for a time, I thought I was on my own. I had the ability to, you know, I haven't always had really great leaders or people around me. Um, so I had the ability to see people for what they are and try to perform the opposite behavior. So sometimes great leaders aren't necessarily there to show you how to act. They can be there to show you how not to act, right? And you can define yourself by doing the opposite. But... Look, my mother uh, would be one person who uh, fought through so many things. So she, would, she was a single mom. And looking back on life, we had, we had no money. And I, I never wanted for anything. Right? And she just fought and fought and fought and fought. And she was in business and she in the 80s. And she was a woman coming up when there was a time where things were more accepted than they are now. So the way women are treated. Um, and I wasn't aware of that then, but I'm very aware of that now, you know, the, the environment they were in and the awareness around how women should be treated in the world and the way my mothers were treated. So she was a strong female presence. And I'm a strong believer in feminine and, and masculine energy and that the feminine energy has a purpose and the masculine energy has a purpose. So my, my mother played a big role in that. I had a leader uh, when I worked in Los Angeles who was probably um, one of the best leaders I've had and I never saw him. And so he led me through uh, what, I, what I now call freedom in a box. So he would, um, he would give me complete freedom. And I thought that he just, this guy doesn't even care what I do, right? But I realized he'd always check in, right? So he gave me the, the it's like trust, right? He allowed me the freedom to make mistakes within parameters. And when I started to hit my ceiling, he'd either go, whoop, you need to come back in. Or he'd just keep expanding my parameters are my box, right? And I would, we would never really talk about business. We would just talk about life. That's how I got here. So he was my leader and I said, I've met this girl. I'm thinking about going to Australia. You know, a lot of people are like, no, don't do that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, he said, you've got three months to go and if it doesn't work out, you can keep your job. Oh, you fantastic. Because you need to experience this and experience life. So that was pretty amazing. It's taken me to re recently to understand that my wife, who is a highly intelligent woman, um, is kind of guiding me through my spirit. So yes, we are we are married and we are partners, but there is it's become clear to me that she's kind of leading me through. She's here on this planet to lead me through my spiritual process. So um, I've got a lot of fear, fear of dying, all these things that we have. Um, that that is the quintessential fear, I think. Any fear you've got probably ends in if you keep going. 
And what are you afraid of? You probably end in that one. And my wife is a pioneer in that area and a lot of work that she does in just trying to work on herself. And through that, she works on herself, challenges me. Often we have some, wow, we have some, some arguments over our views, but she's usually right. So she's kind of leading the way. And what that does for me is it, it, it makes it feel more safe for me. And so then I kind of get into some of the things that she's into, and I've had great results from that. The gentleman who replaced my father um, is an entrepreneur and um, showed me the value of silent wisdom. So I, um, my stepfather, who couldn't be the opposite of my father, so um, he is, doesn't speak. I mean, he does, but he's, quiet, he's a quiet man. Um, if he walked in a room, you may not know he's there. But he um, led businesses for 40 years and his people loved him, right? And he never felt the need to be a charismatic leader or anything like that. He just always took care of his people. You know, we were a small town and so he'd always pay his people more. I remember, um, you know, babies being born, born, stillborn, him paying for the funeral. Um, he is a pharmacist or chemist. Um, mothers coming in who couldn't pay for the medication and he would, no one would ever leave without the medicine, right? So he was a saint in that, and never asked for anything. Um, so him. And then the fifth one is myself. So we all have, um, I've learned within the last year, I have a higher self or a voice, which I call the watcher. It was all, and, and then you also have the ego. So your ego is that one, you would know this, but your ego is that one that often is hard on you. And the ego serves a purpose, right? Uh, to be egoless is, is difficult, but um, my ego is hard on me. Just last night, laying in bed, I, my ego was going and I had to go through a process of I'm learning as I get older to sit with my emotions, so ride the emotion. So when emotion comes, not making a decision, not sending an e email back immediately when that emotion comes, just riding that emotion, and usually um, something good will, will come of that. Um, but the watcher is this part of me that um, is the higher part of me that is kind of guiding me, um, doesn't care about money, doesn't care about things, just cares about me evolving as a human being, mostly cares about love, you know, and how I feel. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm becoming a pretty good coach for myself. And, and I've got a coach at the moment. So a guy named um, Chris Corneal is my coach, and he's with ECI Partners here in town, and he's, he's been amazing for me. And that leads to another point, I think, if I, if I could just elaborate on elders. You know, I spent a lot of my 20s and 30s thinking I knew it all um, mentality that why am I not getting to this place in my career? I'm, I'm, I'm smart. I'm better than these guys. Why am I not? You know, but there is something about experience and just time. And I believe one of the, you know, if you want to look at it from a global scale, one of the things that's wrong with the planet, with I think you can break it down into anything, global warming, the travesties that are happening all over the world, is that we've lost our elders. We've lost respect for our elders, but our elders have also lost respect for themselves. You know, there was a time when some of the stuff that's happening on the planet, um, when we were in a tribal time, the elders would never let that happen. Right, but now the elders, there's, you know, how many people, if you ask a typical 20 year old person, how many, you know, elders 
do they communicate with on a regular basis? They've got nobody, right? They've got their phone and that's the, that's the guru. You know, but how many elders are taking it upon themselves to seek out young people and teach them the ways that have been passed down from generation to generation? We've lost that. So because we've lost that um, tribal mentality, we've lost our way in a lot of ways. It's a, now don't get me wrong. It's an amazing time to be on this planet. But it, in, in the way that it's growing uh, in a positive way, it's all the, the dark, the shadow is growing as well. And I think this will continue to happen. And it just depends on, on the spectrum on where you're at, which we can talk about frequencies later. But yeah, it depends on the spectrum on where you're at. So elders, I'm starting to see the value in elders. I'm, uh, my chairman, he's in his early 70s. And he is a bit traditional, but I have the, uh, and him and I really connect because I just see real value in his experience and the way he communicates with me. Um, and he represents something for me that I never had. You know, I never had a real connection with my grandparents. I never had it. My, my mom's father died early in my life, and my dad, because I didn't have a connection with my dad, I, I then also didn't have a connection with my grandfather. And so as a boy, I was connected to the feminine energy, which is the women in my life. So my mother, my grandmother was a strong woman as well. So as a man, that I'm a very feminine man, and what that means is I'm a very uh, highly emotionally intelligent. Um, I feel, but um, with that make come uh, immaturity around who I am as a man, meaning the masculine side of things, which, you know, the opposite of that, the strong, strong, not not to say that women don't have those skills because they they do and they should, but men, we naturally have them and there's a way to be be masculine and support the feminine. Mate, there's a lot of stuff there, isn't there? There certainly is. That's powerful, mate. I wanted to ask you where you would say your expertise lies? People. People. Perfect. Um, uh, So in business and in life, connecting with people, um, setting a purpose and driving, not driving, um, organically flowing groups of people to a unified sense of direction. I believe in business to... And, you know, I'm going through this process now to truly succeed in business. Yeah, you've got the bottom line, profitability, revenue, EBITDA, all that. But to truly succeed in business is, is, is about a feel. And if you ha- everything else is a byproduct of culture. Everything in business is a byproduct of culture. And if you have a strong culture, everything else flows, flows from that. So it's about people and connecting with people. So I have to have, so you know, I, really, it's simple. I have six people that report to me. And in, in order for me to get the most out of them, they have to get the most out of their self. In order for them to get the most out of their self, I have to set up an environment where they can be their highest self, their most individualistic self, their, their most creative self, the place where they feel safe and the place where they trust me. And I have had the ability to create teams that do that. And so what happens is I create that team and then they have the freedom to create that team. And that just meshes down into the business, flows down into the business, and then there's just this constant loop. Now that doesn't happen overnight. You know that 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 can take, and that never stops. That can take years. But I love, um, I, like I said before, I believe to I believe to truly know a person, you have to know their pain. And that might be my quote. Someone has said it, 
But that might be my quote, right? To truly know a person and truly lead a person, you have to know their pain. This old adage that you have to leave it at the door or fake it till you make it is, is really dead, right? We have, to, we have to understand that human beings need, they spend so much time at work and there's so much stress at work, they have to feel safe and we have to know their pain. That doesn't mean we cry all day at work, right? But we have to know people. And, 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 and know what drives them and, and what they need from a, in a business. Well, I was just about to ask you, and you've answered it already, but um, I love that connection you made of if, uh, if I uh, have these six people and they, they, they are reporting to me, mm-hmm. in order for me to get the most out of them, they need to uh, be their best selves, essentially. Um, but I often see in many businesses that um, there is no rapport building or getting to yeah. know each other because it's just there's, there's too many KPIs. There's too, the, the environment is like, go, go, go. And yeah, it, yeah it's, this, is, this is a problem, but don't get me wrong. Um, I've just learned this recently because I, I do run the risk sometimes of being what I call too healthy in business and mm-hmm. not enough smart in business. So I'll try to paint a picture for you without it, without us having a visual. Think of two circles. I'm doing it with my finger. <laughs> so think of two circles that overlap each other. You know, the typical two circles. And in the middle, there's this shape that overlaps, right? On one circle, you have smart. And on the other circle, you have healthy. Healthy, you know, typical healthy business initiatives or culture engagement, um, emotional intelligence, um, it, you know, feeding your people, all these different things that you do, right? Startups typically get a lot of money and they do all these really emotionally, high emotionally intelligent, you think, oh, it's amazing to work at Google and all these places with slides and all that stuff, right? That's great, but you've still got to run a business. And so on the other side of that is KPIs, the budget, the bottom line, the plan, strategy, all that. A leader's job is to make sure that um, we are doing a equal balance of both at the right time. Timing is so important. Someone like myself, uh, when you get to a certain level, you have, so you hire, you know, Jobs said, why would you pay, I think he said something like, why would you hire really smart people to tell them what to do? And I am a really firm believer in that. And that's back to the freedom in a box, right? I bring people on that can do things um, better than me in certain areas, a specialist in certain areas. And I do have a specialty, and that specialty is people and bringing people together. And it's taken me a long time to be okay with my skill because that skill is leadership. Simon Sinek is just saying that all over the internet, right? So um, I'm what's called... I. If I had to define myself, um, I just had this conversation with my wife. You know, when someone asks you what you do, I'm a servant leader. So the typical organizational structure is a triangle. The leader is a control and command that sits at the top of the triangle. The leader has ultimate say over the business. Our org chart starts with me at the bottom. So I am the ultimate servant. And that doesn't mean that I'm getting everybody's coffees. You'd be surprised if someone asked me to get them a coffee, I probably would. But my job is, is the ultimate servant. 
So I have, I have the ability to make decisions that create the environment. So I'm at the bottom of the org structure for the six people that work for me to have freedom and have a canvas to create the job that is the job of their life. They have that freedom. Now, if they don't do that, that's their own stuff, but we're working towards that, right? So it's their job, and then they, that keeps flowing. So I am at the bottom. Physically, I am at the bottom. If you looked at the bridge climb organizational structure, I am at the bottom of the org, org chart. Wow. There's not a lot of businesses, and I truly am not voted. I mean, I need enough money to pay my bills, right? But I'm truly not motivated by money. I am truly not motivated by title, although there is a part of me that feels something about that title. Yeah. Pride sometimes, not too often, but yeah, yeah. pride, a sense of responsibility. But I, what I've learned just within the last two years is that what truly drives me, um, and this might not be great for me, but I, am, I get more satisfaction out of other people's success than my own. In everything in my life, in anything that I'm doing. So um, I get... This, for example, I get more I get more satisfaction out of your success from this interview than my success, whether it lift my brand or whatever. An opportunity for you that really. And once I figured that out in networking in anything that I do, as as opposed to, I I was going against my nature for so many years trying to get things out of people. People are always trying to get things out of me, and it kind of works because I'm always trying to give them things. So, and I learned that the more and more I give, and it, I know it sounds cliche, you know, they say if you give it all away, it will return to you. I know it sounds cliche, but man, it's true. And so I get value out of seeing my, um, so why do I work? Um, my, my wife homeschools my children, so she has the ability, the freedom to do that. She's amazing at it, my, and you can just see it. My kids are 10 and 12, and they are the most amazing human beings right they're not in the school system structure and it's a bit different for them and they are just flourishing in what an environment that i didn't have and my wife didn't have an environment where they will kids will naturally progress to the area that they're supposed that there is their destiny right and so they may not be skilled in one area but they are in love with what they do whatever that that be right so for me working hard gives them that the people that work for me right i'm trying to uh create a work environment where people um and we're still working on that right because the leaders that were there before were just different than me so we took on 87 percent of the business and so those people are used to a different type of leader and it, you know you can imagine what i'm talking about here when i come in whoa so i've had to pump the brakes right i've had to slow down and go is the message too strong? Yeah, it's too strong Am I freaking people out. So learning that I'm really, I'm better at individual relationships, I've started making individual relationships with people. And so what happens with this pe these people is they start to grow in their work. Work doesn't really become work anymore. The Mondays go away and they start to flourish. Then when they go home at night, they might be a little bit kinder to their partner because they're flourishing at work, they might be kinder to their children. You see the global impact if people lead this way, they can have on the planet. They start to make more emotionally intelligent decisions on the way they even recycle the car I drive. Um, 
the way I say please and thank you to people on the street. So it's about awareness, this awakening of awareness on the planet right now. And um, yeah, I've found purpose in that. And so that's what, that's what drives me. Now, I do get caught up in the numbers. And I do, that, I do sometimes make the mistake of putting my, the, the success of the business, that's how I evaluate myself, the, the numbers, right? Whether I'm doing a good job. It is kind of a metrics for whether my culture is working though. The business should be flourishing if the culture is working. Culture's working. I'm just starting now to see the initial signs of that. Man, that's amazing. Mm. Yeah, I agree with, with all of that. Um, now, a big part of this podcast is uncovering the truth about mm. how much work, effort, patience, and sacrifice is actually required to reach a world-class level of expertise and credibility so to demystify any notion that things were easy on the path to get to where you are now can you take us through maybe some some side steps that you first had to take um i know i dug up you know you started at even no you're not even started you sort of started way before this but you were a client business manager yeah. for global accounts for example mm. for at&t for mm. four years mm. um and then had a whole bunch of jobs two-year stint as mm. regional manager, the uh, Barbary group, yeah. And, yeah. And, and so many others before you even got to yeah. the um, scenic world uh, Blue Mountains yeah. gig, which you were, not a gig, you were there for 10 years. I so. was. <laughs> and then now, you know, the Bridge Climb, yeah. Sydney. So it's easy to kind of look at your titles um, and go, wow, like who do I know that's like this? Nobody. Yeah. Um, how did you get there? <laughs> well, let's just start at the beginning. So when I, uh, so when you talk about AT&T and all that, I was an up and comer. So I was corporate. I was hungry. I was making lots of money. Um, and I was good at being, a, being in that job, but I was miserable. And I was stressed and I had no purpose. So I was running on young energy and um, I, I continued that path, though, because I had a lot of things, you know, and I thought things would make me happy. Again, sounding cliche, but I had a lot of I had cars and I had things. And then I met my wife and uh, I moved to Australia. Now, I thought that my skill set would just translate to Australia. What I didn't realize is that, you know, the world sees Americans differently than Americans think thinks that the world sees them and I was pretty brash unaware young man and so when I came here I I thought I would just take over I would dominate and and you know get a job just like that um and it didn't work that out for me that way I would go and I'd get in for a lot of interviews and I'd get down to the bottom and and um and I'd never make it so my first job in Australia was washing dishes. It's not on my resume. That's not on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah. No, it's not. But maybe it should be. You know, yeah. I'm getting to that place in my career where I start to tell this story when wow. I speak and things. I, I tell this story. So my first job was washing dishes because I brought a bit of money over with me. Um, but I spend that very quickly on, you know, new wife and, and buying things and, and doing that. And I ran out of money and I didn't have a job. And so I think that's where I come from. Though I'm always willing to do whatever, like no doubt, if I lost my job, I'd probably just sign with Uber and I'd 
I'd be an Uber driver for a little bit to do something. Right. So I washed dishes for a little bit. And then, you know, yeah, if you look at my profile, it'd be clear to anybody who's running a business that some of those jobs are lower level sales jobs. And so um, I washed dishes and then I did some lower level sales jobs, but I moved through those pretty quickly because I was advanced in that area. But I was kind of doing the same thing that I did in America. And there was what, but I was in, I was madly in love. So that offset that. So one thing that changed in my life that I found the woman of my dreams and I was madly in love. And so I could do those, those not so great jobs because of this, right? So we decide, my wife grew up, so my wife's Australian, but she grew up in Canada. Her father was a um, professional tennis player and they, and they lived in Canada from when she was one to 11. And so the short of it is, is we lived in Brisbane my first two years here. And then we missed the seasons we started, Brisbane was a bit hot and we started to miss the seasons. And so we thought, where can we live that's not as cold as it is in Chicago or, or Vancouver in the winter, but has some seasons. This is the Blue Mountains, right? And so we decided to move to Blue Mountains. I, um, we moved down, we had two babies and I was, commu- I had a, and I got a job, sales job in the city. Um, and I was commuting two and a half hours each way. And that was really hard for me, um, knowing what I know about myself now around energy and, and the way I feel about frequency and energy that I take on other people's energy. Trains are hard for me. Trains are really hard for me. And so I started looking for new work. I had a job. I started looking for new work. And then I was just on the train one day, 2007, eight, 2008. And so I'll add for an operations manager at Scenic World. I've got no tourism experience, but I've got sales experience. And luckily, uh, I went in for the interview, and the people that own that business are uh, now, so it's a 74-year-old business, but the the grandchildren run it now. So Anthea Hammond is the managing director, and David Hammond, who is my boss now, who is the CEO of Hammond's Holdings, which is the business that owns Scenic World and Bridge Climb now. Right. David and I are similar in age and also... Um, really connect on American pop culture. So David's really into like Biggie Smalls, Tupac, <laughs> um, basketball, all those things. And I started talking about some experiences from my time in America and we just really hit it off. And Anthea probably at, in the beginning, well, didn't have an affinity towards me because she's an engineer and I'm very different than an engineer. And um, But I got in, right? And so well, one thing... When I talk about great leadership, one thing that Hammonds did for me is they gave me freedom in a box. I didn't know it at the time, but they gave me, um, they're really good at hiring people who can do things that they can't do and, and letting them do that thing. And so they, they helped, Scenic World was 10 years. You know, I went through a process of, oh, I need to leave, I need to do something else. But it really was amazing. I just, the, the Hammonds were amazing to me and and I still work for them. Obviously, it's a different relationship now. But I honed my skill on people. And we really created something amazing there. When I got there, I would say we probably weren't very people-focused. But now, I don't know if you've ever been there before, but that business really just hums. The customer experience, which I say is amazing, but is a byproduct of culture, right? And we worked so hard 10 years and still didn't... Look, we surpassed where I thought we'd ever get to, but 
because I didn't know. I didn't think about it until later. But it's amazing what they've gotten gotten to now. And I was able to leave, and it was hard to leave. A lot of tears, and I had some really strong relationships. But I was able to pass it on to somebody that I really trust. So yeah, that's how, that's kind of how I ended up there. And um, so I got promoted with Bridge Climb, right? So they trust me. And so when I moved on from when the when the bridge came up, um, I actually second guessed it. Meaning, it was hard because I lived in the mountains, and it was it was hard to commute again. And so, but that's all worked out, right? Like everything because of where I'm at now, things come to me on my terms. I'm at the point in my career where I I make it's on my terms. I mean, I'm a pretty reasonable guy, right? But I do it on my terms. Um, and so I needed some things to happen and those things happened again the Hemmons were there for me um, I am away from my family a bit more now but I it's good you know like I'm really my wife and family have given me this opportunity to thrive I mean I'm away from my family for three days a week but I'm hungry on those three days so I'm actually there's no home for dinner or anything like that for me I can really focus on what I need and then on the weekends when I'm home or the days that I'm home no business. Hmm. You know, I try to be there and connect with my family, my wife and I. You know, 15 years we've been together, 14 years we've been together. And and like any marriage, you got your moments. But we are more than, we are more than a married couple. We are um, twin flames. We're on a spiritual journey together. Yeah. Hey, that's fantastic. Um, I wanted to chat to you about this world of brands and businesses, mm-hmm. what do you think makes or breaks world-class cultures? Everything starts with the leader. You know, I see so many people, and I think this is it, I see so many people who have the right intention in the middle of the business, and they create pockets of strong culture. But culture has to start with the leader and even the board. We need to start looking at a culture seat at the board of directors, which my company doesn't have that, but I do have a very aware board who supports culture, which is great. But, you know, a lot of businesses are very financially focused, um, which you should be. But if businesses can start to learn that if the culture is a priority from the top, they're starting to become numbers showing the return on investment for that, right? And in, in every area, in, in savings even. You know, if people are engaged, they, they bleed for the business. And so I believe the, the, the major risk is starts with, starts with the leader. I think everything is about the leader in the business. And if a business is not performing, you know, we, we, we always cut people in business that the business is not performing, but the leader is usually the last to go. Um, you might want to flip that script. And in, in terms of what we've been talking about with uh, the other um, insights that you had about um, people being their best selves yeah. um, how do you as a CEO create a space where the people in your company can be the best version of, of themselves so like what is it that you actually yeah. can maybe pass on to the listeners that um, is a practical sort of yep. application that I call they could- it managing by wandering around so many CEOs or senior leaders don't know their people I think you have a gift as a CEO because you should have freedom you know, there's so many doers that work for you. You should have the freedom to every now and again. If, you're, if, you're, if your day is booked with meetings, there's something wrong. 
There is. And, th- and it was in the beginning for me here. I'm just not getting to the place of freedom. So you know, get out and talk to the people. Know what the people want. We have ex- <laughs> to exhaustion run workshops in these early days and bridge climb to one, engage with the people and figure out what the people want. I'm not here to tell them what we're going to do. We are here to co-create. And they don't quite trust it yet either. Right? But, you know, you just got to keep, keep with the message and, and co-create. So you have, you have to know your business. And I'm, st- I'm still learning. I think I knew Scenic World's business. Ten years I knew the people. The people knew what I was about. And we're in like this honeymoon phase still now where I'm saying the same things over and over and they're saying the same things. And I have to adapt to them and they have to adapt to me. Right? It's not about me coming in and being exactly who I am. I was, so at Scenic World, I was that leader for 10 years. I need to take that leader and come to this business but be open to adapting to these people but they also need to be open to adapting to me. And you'll find that there's people who just think that's rubbish and they and our our energies don't mesh and they self-select they self-select and they and good on them they go and do other things you know that make them happy but there are still people who who they're there you know there are people in the business who would i'm aware enough to know that they would think i'm full of it but i've i've been i've done this long enough to know it works and 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 i do feel like the six people that work for me believe in the mission they're great people solid team I'm amazed in the ability to pull these people together in this short amount of time um, a couple one a few didn't work out you know and it was that you know meshing but now I've got a team who are already within eight months vulnerable with each other um, tell the truth argue the right way um, and if what that means is 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 you 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 stay you work in facts and if it gets heated it's not personal and you address it. You don't leave that day angry at each other. You communicate openly. They tell me when I'm off. You know, I, I need people, because I'm wild. I don't mean to say I'm, I'm irresponsible. I do work for RMS. I don't want them to think that I'm irresponsible, but, I'm, but I've, I've got, I need to be brought back, and I've got a couple people who can turn me down sometimes, because I can be too much. You know, I've always said it's easier to turn someone down than turn them up, right? So, yeah, it's, it's the leader, everything. And then not just me, it's so that goes down into the business. Not just me as the leader. Everybody's a leader. So if you're a team leader, it's about you. You're the leader for those people. It's your responsibility. Fantastic, mate. You, you spoke about those six people and you have no doubt hired many people and have done the whole thing, the interview yeah. process and yeah. you know curating um, who's most appropriate for the roles that mm-hmm. you, you have on over the years. What are the qualities that you look for when hiring someone? Yeah, so um, people get, I usually interview with two or three people with me because they ask those questions, the, the typical questions. Tell me about a time when you did this or whatever. And I don't ask those questions. So I, uh, for a senior role, you'll get a resume and they've all pretty much done the same thing, right? So you've got a resume and you're in design. The resume will look similar to someone if, if HR have done their job well and screened it properly before it gets to me, uh, you're similar on paper to someone else, different fonts or whatever. So I look at it differently. I need to like the person. I need to connect with them. I need to feel that I, uh, there's something about them that excites me. So what I try to do is ask questions or set up an environment 
that gets them out of the interview process because there's nothing worse than a really great interviewer who turns out being a uh, lower performer mm-hmm. you know they put all their, en- their energy into interviewing and so I ask questions like what's your favorite color do you what's your what's your favorite scent do you remember a time Th- these kind of questions sometimes or just random questions or, or, or a question that I know that they know the answer to wrote they, they've got it tell me about your, where you're from what it was like growing up there kind of the questions you've asked me right what happens what's happened here you get the real individual you get the prickly side sometimes but you also get the beautiful side and you go oh okay and something will come up they'll say something about what they're passionate about what geeks them out you get them talking about that stuff, then you see what they're like in a creative environment. If you ask them to tell you about a time when they did this project, that might geek them out and you might get it. But for me, the other people in the room can ask those technical questions and I need to get to know them um, as an individual. So I typically come in late in the interview process. Say it's a three interview process. I come in in the last one and it's just about feel. Awesome. So I hire for attitude and feel. Couldn't agree more, mate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does building exceptional, iconic experiences mean to you? Yeah. So I've worked at pretty, um, you know, Scenic World's an iconic place. Um, pretty lucky, to be honest with you. And the bridge is speaks for itself. Right? We are the number one ranked attraction in Australia, number four in the world. And it's statistically unpopular. This is on TripAdvisor. It's statistically impossible for us to get any higher than number four just because the other ones are different businesses than ours, a bike tour in Tuscany or something like that, right? And so they don't have nearly the amount of views. So you can only go one way backward when you're number one, right? Um, it's about sustaining then. It's about how, you, how do you sustain that place, um, and that- you know, In a world where we're always seeking to- um, Yeah. And, find what's more. Well, and what's interesting yeah. is everybody's on iPads and doing all these things. Mm. And I've run two businesses that are very nature-based. Or um, I've run two businesses that disconnect you from your device. So Scenic World's in a national park, reconnecting with nature, cable cars. Cable cars give you access to parts of the world that you could never get to by foot. And the bridge is the bridge. Have you gone up? I've not gone up You're yet, gonna... I'm scared of heights. Okay. We'll talk about that. We'll see if you can get up there. Look, I'll tell you a story. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty hard on myself when it comes to giving myself credit for what I've achieved. And I, a couple months into it, I went on a climb with one of the climb leaders named Sarah. And I was up there with Sarah, just kind of just showing me around. And I had a moment where I had a, I thought where I came from, right? 1,300 people, alcoholic father, small town, nobody really does anything. And I was on the top of the bridge, and I don't remember the astronaut's name. My wife would know it. But there was an astronaut who said, when you go to space and look back on Earth, it changes your perception about humanity. The problems just go away. And the bridge is kind of like that. Our theme is to connect all people to the heart of Sydney. That's our why statement. So when you get up on the bridge... You don't really see the people. You can see out towards Manly and where the ships come in. You can see Sydney. You can see the Blue Mountains out to the west. 
and it just changes. Your problems kind of seem to go away and everything seems small from that vantage point. And, you know, we get amazing reviews about the bridge. It's not just about the bridge. It's about the climb leader and the story that the people tell you and the feel of the bridge and the history, what went in to build that bridge. And it's the heart of Sydney. So you think about the traffic as as veins coming in and, and, the, and the water flowing in as arteries connecting the north and south side of Sydney. Without that, we'd be, a, you know, we'd be very different. The history, the future. That's amazing. Mm. Hey, that's, that's, I've never even looked at it that way. So Yeah, and most of Sydney hasn't, you know. The bridge is kind of one of those things that people say they're always going to do it, and they never do it, right? And I'm just, I, and, uh, the listeners out there, do it. And reach out to me if you, you know, or whatever. But it's, and so when I got up there, sorry, yeah, when I got up there, I had this experience where I had a, a proud moment, you know. This boy who grew up probably, I wasn't a great student. They didn't think I'd amount to much. Probably wouldn't go to university even. I did go to university and I went to grad school. I did all those things. Did your master's too. Yeah, mostly because that teacher said, kind of implied that I wouldn't. Right? And I had a moment where I went, oh, you are one. I never thought I'd be in Australia. You're in Australia. You're standing on top of the Harbor Bridge and you're the CEO of Bridge Climb who operates on the Harbor Bridge. That is a big responsibility. And that's what I've always craved is that responsibility. And I had a moment fleeting where I was proud of myself, you know, where I felt acknowledged by myself. And that's a pretty good feeling if you can reach that. Um, since then, I've gone pretty hard on myself. But that <laughs> moment, I'll remember that moment the rest of my life. Oh, man, like just celebrating those, those well, stopping to create a space where you can celebrate those quick wins, being kinder to yourself and going, yeah. no, hold on, don't be, don't be too hard to yourself. I think I'm very much like that, mate. We very, very much are aligned in, yeah. in that. Most people are. Yeah. Mm. So what is the most unexpected thing that's happened on the bridge during a climb or at Scenic World that you can share? <laughs> mm. I can share one at Scenic World that's, um, that's uh, really impacted me. We had a, because it, it was no fault of anyone. We had a, um, a gentleman pass away at Scenic World. Wow, okay. Um, not on any of the rides or anything. He was mm. an elderly gentleman, and he, he, he passed away on the boardwalk at, at Scenic World. Right. So just walking around and mm. had a heart attack. Um, but the staff um, had to attend to him, well, had the, had the opportunity to attend to him and, and perform CPR on him and his wife was there and it was just a it was a moment um, so that happened and so you as a leader you've got the wife the individual that your people are working on and, and didn't get up in the morning and think that they were going to do that and, and, it, and it took a while for the services to get there because they had to get there get down in the valley and do it so a good while we were there with her and then looking, making sure that the customers move away and that your staff, and then after that, the impacts of that after that. Now, he was gone quickly, right? And he, he, he left this planet in the, with a view of the three sisters. Mm. And the sun was, it was amazing, right? But that, that, my relationship with the people at Scenic World went next level because 
they were, I was able to see their passion for people in that moment. And I was able to see the, the fine line between leader and, 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 and the, and the rest of the people and being a servant leader that we're all, it's just titles. Mm. And I get paid a little bit more money and I have a bigger responsibility, but, um, they had a much greater responsibility than me on that day. Right, and it was really amazing for me to see that the canvas that I and the Hammonds together had created, that these people would t- respond in this moment the way that they did, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was beautiful. So that happened. Um, look, um, the bridge is is we're safe, so nothing like that is happening. Um, yeah, I'm early days, you know. Mm. We, we have funny things happen all the time, but um, yeah, early early days at the bridge. Awesome. So I'm conscious of time, mm. and uh, I, I feel that we could talk forever. Uh, but I've got a few more questions sure. for you. Let's uh, knock these out. Rapid fire. Uh, rapid fire style. A question I ask all my guests, if you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior Chris, uh, perhaps the youngster finishing high school, yep. what would you tell him? Patience. Um it's coming, patience, um, learn to be invited. And what I mean by that is you don't always have to talk, learn to listen and learn to be invited. I've found in my career that when I'm invited like this to speak, my language flows much more eloquently than when I'm not invited to speak. When you're not invited to speak, you probably shouldn't speak. <laughs> I call it, it's why are you talking right now? Yeah. Why am I talking right now? Mm. I don't know if it's wait. It's <laughs> why am I talking right now? Mm. And if you always ask yourself that question, are you talking just to be heard? And the, and the people that I have the most respect for are, the, are usually the quietest person in the room. And then when they speak, they only speak when there's something to say and it's usually profound. Mm. So patience. Be patient and listen. Who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? Now, you've mentioned a lot of people, but is there a person, and it could have been one of them that you've already mentioned, uh, a person who has inspired you to think bigger, dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential? Hmm. I'm just going to have to land on my wife. Good answer. <laughs> she, she's, she, she has changed my world. Hmm. I'm who I am today because of her. The freedom she provides me, but also the wisdom, you know, and we, and she has invited many spiritual teachers into my life. So through her, um, I've met many people who are just, you know, those people that it's almost hard to make eye contact with, that they're so solid in their self, that being in their presence is, is nerve wracking. Those people are, I'm not one of those people yet, but those people, yet yeah, I aspire to be wise that they are so secure in their self and so strong in their being that when you when you connect eyes with them it makes you almost shudder in your own skin you know and mm-hmm. i've met a few of those people that she's connected me with that are profound amazing well I look forward to meeting her one day yeah <laughs> um so what's next for you chris in everything you're involved in for the rest of the year and beyond mm. so we're right into it bridge climb I'm headed to, um, so we've got a lot of things to do. We've got some exciting things that I can't quite talk about yet, but um, that just keep your eyes open on what's happening at the bridge because we are going to do a lot of things at the bridge. This next week I'm heading to the Gold Coast where I'm um, at, a, at, a, at the Alara Tourism Conference where I'll be running a think tank up there. Um, 
And in the immediate future, I've got a men's retreat coming up. So men's circle where I'll be sitting with men and, and talking about, you know, some of our frustrations and how we can be better men on this planet. Um, yeah, and keeping on keeping on at the bridge. So you know? good. Mm-hmm. How can listeners get in touch with you online? LinkedIn is the only social platform that I really play on. I find that it's a good platform for me. Uh, it's the only one that I really use. I have Facebook and, and Instagram, but they're more for my family and things like that. But I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, people can always contact me via that platform. Mate, and I love following you on your journey. So definitely uh, listeners get on top of that and, um, and follow Chris too. Uh, mate, thank you so much for making the time. My pleasure. To, uh, it has been an absolute honor. And mate, you have just blown my mind. <laughs> Lots to think about after this and digest. One plug. Um, just bridgeclimb.com. Yes. Right. We've got Vivid coming up, uh, which is an amazing climb up on the bridge. And uh, we'll see you at the bridge. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. And I'll link uh, everyone up uh, on the uh, blog post when, when this goes up. Great. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for tuning in, Giants. I hope Chris has given you a broader view from a different vantage point. If there's something in this episode that has resonated with you, then it might for a friend as well. You can forward giantthinkers.com to anyone and it'll take them right to it. Also, the Giant Thinkers podcast is available on Spotify. So if that's more convenient for you or your friends to listen to, every single episode appears on Spotify as well, on top of iTunes, Stitcher, or any preferred podcast app. Now, a quick teaser for our next guest. He has worked side-by-side for Gary Vaynerchuk for over three years as an all-rounder creative and art director, specializing in videography, editing, and design. This year, 2019, he received acceptance into the Adobe Creative Residency Program. It's an enormously rare opportunity and it allows him to spend a whole year focusing on a personal creative project while sharing his experience and process with a global creative community. So stay tuned for that one very soon. Before I close this episode, I'd like to briefly draw your attention to Stocksy. As mentioned at the beginning of the show, Stocksy are my image search library of choice and upon landing on their website, you'll see why. Plus, you get a massive 20% off as a listener, so I really do encourage you to check them out. Their library is highly curated and isn't full of cheesy overused assets. Their entire website is the easiest to use of all the libraries I've come across from searching, filtering and navigating. It's all intuitive and simple. They even have a drag and drop feature. If you have an image and want to see a similar image on Stocksy, super handy, just drag that image into their website on your browser and Stocksy will populate anything that is related for you to review. Plus they have a search by color feature. Enter a hex code or use their slider to search Stocksy's collection by color. So if you need high quality stock images or videos without breaking the bank, check them out take advantage of the exclusive 20% off discount while you're at it. Head to giantthinkers.com slash Stocksy. That's giantthinkers.com slash S-T-O-C-K-S-Y. Use the code giantthinkers20. That's giantthinkers20. The link is also on this blog post. For any questions regarding the podcast or anything at all, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. Send me a DM via my handle, the giant thinker 
Lastly, I'll leave you with a quote that I loved from Chris who said, culture has to start with the leader. If businesses can start to learn to have culture as a priority from the top, the ROI will come.